Hello and welcome to What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. I'm Alex Hamilton, Deputy Editor at Fintech Futures, and joining me for this episode is Varun Modgill, founder and CEO of payments and currency accounts provider, Sokin. Welcome to the show, Varun. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. This week's episode, we're doing everything about the remittance industry and payments internationally, where it is right now, where it's headed, how it's recovering post-COVID. We'll be chatting chats, facts, figures, and FX in just a moment. But first up is our news in numbers segment of the podcast. Uh, this is where we go out and find news stories with some numbers involved that have caught our eye in the past few weeks. Uh, Vrun, you are our guest for this week's show, so you have the dubious honour of going first. What number has grabbed your attention? I think the news that caught my attention was obviously WISE opening up an office in Mumbai to facilitate payments and remittances. I think that's quite an interesting um, news topic. And also the 30 million raised by Davido from HSBC and ING. Yeah, excellent. I think they're both uh, pretty eyebrow raising. I think the first one, WISE, obviously, everyone's still getting used to calling WISE, especially yeah. the put a transfer WISE every time I write it, but showing an expansion into a, a massive market in India. And it's something that, that Sokin has done as well. You guys have just recently expanded into Brazil and, and Mexico. What's that kind of expansion like for a firm like yours or, in, or that wants to cover international payments like that? Yeah, so we set the tone with Sokin to become a, well, to be a global currency account provider. So for us going global from day one, that is the ethos of the company for the last two years. I think Wise's expansion into Mumbai is long overdue. We definitely wouldn't take as long to go into a market as they've shown for whatever reason. But it is about time that a lot of companies and fintechs go into markets which are big on remittances uh, and Brazil, Mexico. Latam is a big move for us, India. We've been part of the sort of Indian community for, for a while now. You know, we were, we were the first European fintech to announce our expansion into India with some substance, I must say, compared to some other fintechs that like to make some noise about markets they're going into. But you don't hear from them for another two, two and a half years, three years until they do something there. It's quite a different case for us. And I think we're seeing a big opportunity currently given the pandemic in a lot of other countries and Brazil, Mexico. I think we announced our partnership with MasterCard for Southeast Asia, UK, Europe, definitely us being here, but also North America. So we've got a very aggressive strategy over the next six months. And because it's interesting, obviously, to get your uh, the cold face view on this kind of thing. So what are the key factors when it comes to approaching new large geographies like LATAM, like India? So the focus is always about the infrastructure side, I think the, one of the reasons why fintechs are growing so quickly and why there's so much VC investment in tech companies is the technology that allows them to go into markets to, to make things work. So, for example, us going into or us determining which region we're going to go into, tech side of it plays a big part. The abilities for banks to have API structures, for example, to work with those banks. And what we're finding with technology now is that where about five years ago, when you go into other countries, it was quite early stages. You would still have those conversations about what their plans would be, but now you have those conversations with them, they're very much there, or there will be two or three banks that are very much there. And I'm seeing that firsthand. I'm seeing that in the regions that we're looking to expand into as well. We'll work with a bank. And I think now there's more of an acceptance from banks to work with fintechs rather than this fist fight between the two that, oh, we're here to beat the banks or when the banks thinking about differently about fintechs. I think now they're seeing the advantages and we from fintechs to work with them and we have great banking partners around the globe that we work with. Yeah, that's great. And I, I think, you know, what you've mentioned there ties in brilliantly with the other story, the DeVito fundraising. 
For those not aware, Listening Davida, which is a BNPL firm uh, based in the UK, founded in 2014, has about 1,000 clients across uh, 10 markets. It's recently raised uh, $30 million in a Series B funding round from both HSBC and ING, with a handful of new investors, SBI Investment, DN Capital, Dawn Capital, Amex Ventures as well. It's going to use the new cash to fuel international expansion, as we've just been talking about, and also to build out its platform for, for lenders and merchants. It's an interesting one, uh, talking about that, it seems that, you know, big banks looking at a market like BNPL, which has exploded in growth, especially over the last year or so. An interesting one that you mentioned there, I think it ties into that. You said that banks are no longer either they're no longer at loggerheads with each other. There's the banks are seeing opportunities to invest in new services and products and that they can perhaps, instead of trying to spend two or three years building out their own thing, they can go and partner or invest in uh, a firm that's doing it for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've seen it over the last five years when there's been certain banks trying to compete with certain fintechs. I think it's just not their ethos. This is not their business model. Um, and I think there's you can see that almost not a struggle, but also that sort of that awareness of what, what that market wants. I think it's great to see large banks engaging with fintechs. Like I said, we have great banking partners around the globe. We have great banking relationships and we encourage all types of chats with them. And when it comes to collaboration and it's a hot space, the, the BNLPL space, and it's going upward and there's a, there's a continuous trend. Also, I think the institutions are realizing something that they should have probably done about 15, 20 years ago or 10 years ago. I think they're realizing that gap and that sort of mistake, I guess. And now they're actually seeing that tech companies are giving them access to get into a market, get into a space quicker. And it takes, it doesn't take us long to make decisions and, and do things where it does take larger institutions a bit of time. In part two of the podcast, this is our more interview style section where we focus the discussion down onto a specific industry topic or sector. We're going to dive into the main topic in just a moment. Remember, that's on remittances and international payments. But first, uh, I'm going to give Varun a minute or two to give us a rundown on Sokin and a little bit more about himself and being the CEO of the company. So take it away. My name is Varun Modgill. I'm the founder and CEO of Sokin. So we we are a global currency account provider for both consumers and businesses across 200 plus countries. Sokin is often referred to as the Spotify of payments and because of our subscription model of pricing, method of pricing. And we are the biggest fintech in the world, given our footprint globally, where we are. And we're very excited about what's happening in the future, saving more costs, changing the mindset of FX payments and making it accessible for everyone around the globe. Excellent. And I think that remittance is an industry that I've covered uh, quite a lot in my time as a journalist, but I feel like it gets a lot of, in some ways, it, it's sort of in the back room when people talk about financial services sometimes. Do you think that's the case? Do you think remittance and international transfers gets the the attention as a sector that it deserves, considering some of the numbers it can pull? Yeah, absolutely. I believe it's a sector that warrants more sort of attention. I think people speak about boosting financial inclusion and this inherently is tied to the remittance sector. If you look at how much the flow was of remittances to low middle class income countries, it was about 554 billion or something like that in 2019, which the World Bank noted. I think that highlights the importance of the sector. I think the pandemic obviously Global remittances fell by about 7%. But, when at, but at a time when direct foreign investment into those low middle 
uh, income countries also fell through. Remittance flows are more crucial than ever. It's tough time for everyone, especially given the economic uh, migrants um, who are marginalised. But the focus is definitely, like I said, it doesn't get the attention and it deserves given the, the, the substantial amount of flow that happens. Yeah, and you mentioned the uh, the effect of the pandemic there. I've seen some data from the World Bank that suggests um, that the levels of remittances sent home will uh, decline to roughly 14% lower than they were pre-COVID. One, what's caused this, do you think? And two, how has the pandemic affected the remittance industry? That up until now, as you mentioned, and we've seen, has been growing at pace. Yes, the pandemic has hit the remittance sector harder than most. Remittances declined by 7% last year. It's anticipated that they'll drop another 7% this year. Remittance providers had to close a lot of physical uh, locations. There are a lot of restrictions in place, even for the ones that were open. And I think this has now opened the door for digital services like Sokin to take the industry. Scaling up with digital channels is a top priority now for a lot of providers. And like I said, it's giving Sokin the ability to provide to take this industry forward. Notice that there's a change also from cash. And yeah, we're excited. There has been a decline. We are quite excited about what the future holds. So just as a, as a little extra question that you mentioned, obviously it's now the time for digital providers to step up. Do you think the effect of the pandemic is having a greater effect on those with physical locations? And are they pivoting enough to digital or is the market ripe enough for firms like Sokin to step in? I think the market's ripe enough for firms like Sokin to, to step in. And um, yes, those with physical locations, I think they're just, they're finding it difficult with obviously the, the sort of the lockdowns, the, the slow release of lockdowns and then coming out, coming in. And I think this has been happening for the last year and a half now. I think the market is now open for digital players like ours to come in and make it easy. The whole point about Sokin is the ability to send money to another Sokin user instantly. As long as you have a mobile phone and you have Wi-Fi, you will get money transferred to you and you won't be paying any additional fees apart from the subscription fee via Sokin. That's great. And I I know that for a long time, countries and organisations across the world have been targeting lower and lower FX fees when people try and send money home. You're trying to get you to that golden 5% level and then maybe get even lower to 3%. But um, that same World Bank data that I I cited uh, found that the average cost for sending $200 sits at around 6.8%. So what's keeping that number high and what can be done to drive it down? So this is exactly why I set up Sokin as a new global currency account provider. I've focused on creating an open, transparent payments platform. We're the first provider to enable global payments for a fixed monthly fee. Uh, We give the power to the customer to make unlimited payments and transfers. We provide both businesses and personal accounts with no hidden fees. Just straightforward currency exchange, money transfers, keeping it simple. Transparency is at the heart of what Sokin do. I saw this firsthand with my own father who was sending back money to Indian facing the challenges that, that you talk about, consistent fees. You've already said it, the average cost of sending $200 sits at 6.8%. Now you make four transfers of that, that adds up for migrant, that adds up for people working abroad. And yeah, this is why transparency is so key for Sokin. Uh, we don't push up the spreads, we use a pay a monthly fee, and we provide highly competitive returns. And also for my background in the financial services industry, I know there's, of course, a cost to check personal details, KYC, legitimacy of funds, but these can be simplified further and these costs can be passed on. And that's where the aim of Sokin is to drive that down. So while the others are competing on lowering that 6.8%, like you, speak, like you talk, talk about, we, we're just coming in to shake the space and just go, actually, here's a monthly fee. You can do as much as you want. Sure. And, and 
What, where is it a, a legacy of technical debts? Like you mentioned, manual processes they're checking and um, ensuring yeah. things. Is it just basically that the incumbents they're struggling to keep up with the way the technology is moving and the, the fact that people need to transfer or want to transfer money quickly, but they can't, they're stuck in the days of when you used to send your travellers checks. Yeah, absolutely. I think technology plays a big part. I think a lot of the players at the moment who came in with that claim of disrupting the space, but actually just reduced fees compared to a bank and put it on a digital platform. I think their technology was set at that time of what they had available to them. I think now we're in a time where it's evolving every single day you know, every single week, you see new, new technologies coming out, new processes coming out, the ability to open up in other jurisdictions is much quicker. And we're in that time at the moment. And our technology is serving our need and giving us the ability to, like I said, giving the ability to forsake and to shake up the space with a subscription model. What kind of role can digital remittances play? You've already mentioned that already how important remittances are for, for people all across the world. How important is it for digital remittances firms to sort of open up new corridors and avenues for transactions and payments like Soken is doing with your subscription model? Because obviously one of the other things with remittances is that a corridor between, I don't know, New York and, and Eastern Europe can cost a lot less than a corridor between New York and somewhere like Uganda or Nigeria or somewhere mm -hmm. like that. You know, how your model obviously is one that removes that, but are there any other sort of ways that can really help people democratise the movement of money without having to it be like it has to be first world country to first world country, if you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So look, they have a huge role to play for both traditional players like MoneyGram and new entrants like us that are focused on digital services. Interesting enough, though, MoneyGram reported 100% year-on-year uh, digital transaction growth in May 2020. Western Union, meanwhile, said that May 2020, it set a 10-year record high, and these figures will rise even higher in 2021. That said, transitioning migrants and their families to e-wallets and apps can't be realized by remittance providers alone. There needs to be a co coordinated effort between the public sector and the remittance providers. People in emerging markets need to be aware of digital platforms that are available to them and what they offer as well, more importantly. I think that's, I, I often use this in a lot of interviews I do where I talk about my experience with an Uber, Uber driver when I spoke to them and how are you sending money back home? Oh, we've got six apps that we have and we see what's giving us the best rate. But then at the end of the day, we still just do it via either Western Union. And that's that mindset that I think that needs to be, that needs to change a bit. I think, I feel it's also important to, to note that economic migrants have travelled, you know, thousands of miles to work to essentially send money back home and to make it easier. And this is where Soken is coming in to say, provide a model where it doesn't matter where you're sending money or where you have family. Often a lot of migrants don't just have family in the country that they've come from. Often they have family scattered everywhere around the world. And this is where we make it easier for local payments. We make it easier for money transfers. Soken also makes it easier if you're traveling yourself. So say a migrant's going back home and they want to spend on the card. We take away any card fees, card transaction fees that they're going to face when they're going to another country by using our app. So you mentioned there about the Uber driver using the six different apps. Is is there a, because in some cases, like a lot uh, people talk about, for example, if we take the example of new banks, new banks trying, trying to come into the market, but people hanging on to banks they've used because their dad used it or because they got a bank account when they were 10. Is there a similar stickiness when it comes to remittance services, people who might look at new apps on the market, but think old, reliable, Western Union or MoneyGram or MoneyCop, those kinds of companies. Is, is there is that something that a new player like yourself has to break into? It is, but we also have to make the ease of use 
um, for that individual so that they understand what they're doing, what they're doing on the app, how easy it is, uh, what the payment actually means. So if I am paying my 999, does it breaking down that awareness that Soken doesn't keep charging you repetitive fees? So for that calendar month, you have now got the ability to send money as many times as you want back home. I think what happens is with a lot of players at the moment, you get that same messaging of no FX fees, no commission. If that was the case, then most people would have the same rates whenever you'd go to send money either abroad or send money to someone. So clearly there is some rate hike somewhere going on. And this is what we want to avoid. We work with the best FX providers. We work with the best banks in the world. We try and get the best rates what are available for the pairs and we give it and we give it to our customers. We pass it through and we keep it as simple as that. But going back to your question about using more traditional players, like I said, I think that there's been that awareness of if you're using Western Union, sending cash, for example, to other places. And I think digital money is now becoming the main player in most markets. And we're seeing that change even in Mexico, even in Brazil. Digital payments is now leading the way. And I think this is where it's time for us to come in and show what we can do and provide a price point that actually hits home for everyone. Here we are in part three for everyone's favorite section, the FinTech Jail. We've seen the analytics. We know you skipped the end of the episode to listen to this bit first. So this is where we ask for an industry term, a buzzword or a trend that our guest has seen or heard enough of. Uh, we then debate whether it deserves a place in the jail or if it's already in there, an extended sentence, uh, no matter how close its metaphorical parole hearing might be. So Varun, what buzzword or trendy topic do you wish was banished to our Financial Room 101? Yeah, so Alex, I think the word I think that needs to be banished is disrupt or disruption. Interesting. Now, disrupt has been in here before. It was in uh, episode eight. Someone got rid of wanted to chuck in disrupt or disruptor. I think we get we gave it a, a, a fairly hefty sentence. But why don't you give me a reason why you've, it's already in there? But if you want to really hammer down on it, why don't you l- let everyone who's listening know just how much this word annoys you? Yeah, it does. So, so I think. Everyone is using it and saying it, and it takes the power and the meaning away from how everyone can be disrupting. I think sometimes it's just about making things simple and doing things better and not always about disrupting. And I think this is where Soken is coming to the market with a disruption of FX. And I think what we see is a lot of messages from other companies where we don't really see much change. I think, yeah, you're making things simpler. But are you actually truly disrupting the market? And I think this is a word that really does, I think, deserve a long life sentence in your jail. A life sentence. Well, we did a long time ago, we decided we weren't going to be so harsh on things. But I think you, you've been putting the case <laughs> there. Two testimonies against disruption. I think we're going to have to extend the sentence by, oh, let's say we like to think of ourselves as a nice Nordic, Swedish sort of open prison with electronic tags <laughs> rather than a, one with a, um, solitary confinement. But uh, let's... I, mm, I tell you what, we'll give it another five years. Why not? We'll see. That's the way everyone, that's how everyone predicts things these days. It's got to be five years. We'll check up on it in five years to see yeah. whether it disrupts and has a new takeover. Does that sound fair to you? Yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. Well, that's all we have time for this episode of What the Fintech. Thanks to everyone for joining me. Before we sign off, though, uh, just a chance to talk about any socials or websites to plug. You're the guest, so you get to go first. 
Yeah, absolutely. So everyone should go onto the website, soaking.net, register themselves for their card, which is being released at the end of June. And then there's going to be many more announcements across our social channels. So Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, because there's some exciting new partnerships, new commercial partnerships, and exciting stuff that the marketing team have been working on that we're very excited to share. And it's in time for, yeah, our launch of our card at the end of June. And hopefully things opening up across the world over the next few months as well. Great. And uh, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at ADHamilton91 and on LinkedIn just by searching my name. And as for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at www.fintechfutures.com, on Twitter at Fintech Futures and on LinkedIn just by searching Fintech Futures and looking for our lovely logo. If you like the podcast and our other episodes, then please feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting service of choice. As always, we really appreciate any help from listeners by writing comments, writing reviews, recommending us to friends, shouting about us from rooftops, metaphorically, that is, over Twitter. Thank you uh, very much for any and all support. We'll see you soon for another episode of What the Fintech. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye.